according to his promise. We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6, wrapping up uh, verses 6 through 11, which will then prepare us for uh, 12 through 15. These uh, paragraphs build on one another. I don't know if you noticed that, but um, we have a, really uh, verses 1 through 5, we have the first of the financial warnings that is against um, the entanglements. Uh, if you are involved in a financial enta- entanglement with your neighbor that's inappropriate, you need to get out of that. And then another inappropriate financial issue is the issue of uh, laziness, of, uh, of not working. And uh, that's the go to the ant, O sluggard, in verses 6 through 11. And that's what we're going to wrap up here today. But so you have those two in, uh, in kind of in parallel. Uh, you can be wrong in either or both. But that second one then is what really kind of feeds into what follows because we're introduced to the vagabonds and the uh, ruffians uh, or the armed man in verse 11. And that sets the table for 12 through 15. You've got a whole paragraph that details the, the Belial in your life. The uh, Belial or the son of a Belial are different terms. Um, some expressions that come into uh, modern use are almost vulgar. They're not profane. It's not profanity. You're not cursing if you use them. Um, but they are uh, vulgar even if they're not profane. And to call someone a, a Belial or a son of a Belial or other idioms that sons of come into English usage and so forth, um, I think they, they, they get so thrown about uselessly that we fail to realize, wait a minute, there's actually a, a biblical basis for this. <laughs> All right? And if the Scriptures use the term Belial and son of a Belial, then uh, we, we want to make sure that we're not uh, inappropriately rejecting a term that ought to be used uh, and, and, and so forth. And so I think the, uh, the danger is, of course, that you just throw it all out because you want your speech to always be seasoned with salt and, and whatever else. But when the Bible uses an expression, there's a reason for it because the terms communicate and the terms uh, are designed to communicate uh, that which uh, the Lord is making clear. So Anyway, we'll deal with that. But you'll notice uh, this, this Belial, this worthless person, this wicked man, and, and how he's described. And he's described as one who walks with a perverse mouth. And we'll have trouble with this because, well, we won't, but the people you're talking to will have trouble with this uh, because uh, we're not allowed to discuss perverts anymore. There's nothing that's perverted. It's just different and it's good for them and it's not good for you so don't be judgmental and and if you use a term like pervert or perverted or perverse well then um you know you're you're full of hate so here we have the perverse and uh, and we have it again in verse 14 there's perversity in his heart and uh, and so forth and so he is the one who uh, his heart continually devises evil who spreads strife now that becomes key because then, just like a, a stepladder, what we have now is a progression spreading strife introduces us to the next paragraph, verses 16 through 19. Six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to Him. And if you're already not in enough trouble talking to somebody about perverts, then you can talk to them about abomination and you'll be uh, even less uh, popular. <laughs> because again, we are living in a day and age in which there is no such thing as an abomination. The only abomination is um, being uh, judgmental and, and so forth. And so we are rapidly approaching 16 through 19, and you'll notice uh, the six things which the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, and that formula stresses the seventh, the final item is the pinnacle, and then once again, it's strife, one who spreads strife among brothers, down in verse 19. So we really are keeping this theme going as introduced today with this uh, with the vagabonds and the ruffians, and then taking us through the Belials and taking us through because they are spreading strife. And uh, that really becomes, I think, the thread, the common thread that that uh, takes these uh, paragraphs and, and weaves them together the way that it does. In any event, I haven't even prayed yet, have I? We better pray.
Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for this time together. And we're looking forward, Father, if you delay long enough in sending your son, then uh, the classes coming up in these uh, uh, next few paragraphs are going to be uh, going to be so important for us, and I pray that we would be diligent to uh, to study and diligent to learn, diligent not only in the academic realm but uh, practically, Father, as we take the word in and, and let it dwell richly within us. For this morning, Father, as we're, we're wrapping up the last details uh, where we've been here and uh, talking about the sluggard and the lazy person and. Father, I ask that we might, uh, again, not only learn it academically, but take it in personally, make it very real to each one of us as we, as we uh, digest it, as we consider what our personal application is. If we uh, are cer- uh, searching out issues of laziness, uh, let us at the same time, Father, search out issues of, uh, of rest, Father, that we might be able to apply both sides of this coin and not go uh, overboard in one direction or the other. So, Give us the balance, give us the wisdom, give us the application. And I do thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Again, 6 through 10 is, or 6 through 11 is look to the ant, O sluggard, and uh, which is really main point two in the outline. We start with the issues of uh, financial entanglements in main point one. That's verses one through five. David's parental wisdom to Solomon turns to the financial matters first of which is a warning against the financial entanglements of others. And really, it's a, not only a warning against the bad thing, but it reinforces the positive thing, that the reason why we have the resources we have is to make use of them in the, within the scope of what God designs. And that means family, uh, not neighbors in the uh, financial realm. Point two, the second admonition. David's second financial admonition is a warning against laziness. And uh, under this, we've seen that sluggards should learn from the ants and uh, gave vocabulary and study on ants related to that. Also, uh, the fact that bios life wisdom should be a reflection of Zoe life wisdom, that it's not simply a matter of picking up some helpful tips for, for uh, daily life, that uh, if you are a Bible student, then you've, you're gonna, your personal life will all come, to, come together in an amazing way that other people will uh, just marvel at and think, wow, you, you certainly seem to have life all together. Well, that may be the case, but I think uh, and anyone that's using biblical norms and standards is going to benefit from that. Um, but also, <laughs> keep in mind that if you are walking in a manner that pleases the Lord, then you're going to come under angelic conflict, and you're going to come under a lot of other testing and affliction and some things going on, and the unbeliever may look at that and, and uh, come, up, come away with a, a different perspective. Anyway, uh, there's more that we can do with this, and I think it will come up in some upcoming chapters um, about showing the parallel between the bios life and the zoe life. And of course, bios is our daily life, is our biological life, is our earthly life. We share bios life with every unbeliever on the planet, right? So that means, you know, we've got got secular things that we deal with. We got to eat, they got to eat, we got to work, they got to work, and uh, and aspects there. so we can, we can learn from, from Bios life, but let's remember that the reflection is a biblical reflection. And we make that parallel because the Bible tells us to. In other words, we look to the ant as our illustration for diligence because the Bible tells us to look to the ant as our illustration for diligence. We don't just find an animal doing something that we want to do and then say, well, that's my pattern, I'm going to go do that. All right. We don't have the freedom to just pick any animal or any animal behavior and say, "Hey, um, under under the principle of of look to the ant, I'm going to look to the sloth and uh, just kind of be lazy, hanging around all day." Well, wait a minute. The Bible doesn't say look to the sloth. It says look to the ant. And uh, the application: we have to start with Zoe life before we can then go to Bios life. In our non-ant perspective, there are no discernible chiefs, officers, or rulers. We dealt with that under point C. The unbeliever will have a uh, perspective that's just not going to understand. <laughs> they're not going to understand. They, they're looking, maybe, they, maybe they're watching us and how we handle finances, and they think, oh, that's, that's, that's economically smart, or oh, that's, that makes good business sense. 
And they've got no frame of reference to realize that we are honoring Jesus Christ with all that we do. That we are giving of our first fruits and that the reason why we are generous and ready to share is, uh, is not for economic reasons, it's for spiritual reasons. And the reason why we, we have savings is not for practical reasons or, or whatever, see? Uh, not that we're reading the Poor Richard's Almanac and we're, we're following uh, uh, Ben Franklin's guidance on, on uh, savings and a penny saved is a penny earned or whatever. We're, no, we're following the scriptures and we are doing so as a sweet smelling savor. And that's the difference. Now, an unbeliever can use the very same BIOS life principles and they can be blessed within temporal life for that. Um, but they're doing it for the wrong reasons. And so it's not gold, silver, and precious stones, and it's not rewardable. And if they're not saved, they're still going to go to hell when they die with all their diversified portfolio and everything else staying right here. (laughs) Okay? And so we have it. And some of this maybe you'll, you'll encounter when you encounter different folks that tell you, well, I don't need your Bible. I don't need your Christianity to be a good person, to be moral. And then, you know, if they throw that at you, just agree with them. You know, I, yeah, I don't dispute that. You can be a moral person without Christ. You can be good without Christ. And there's all kinds of good people that die and go to hell every day. So um, let's not confuse BIOS life wisdom and personal morality with uh, a born-again believer that's glorifying Jesus Christ and all that they do. All right, point D then, prudence prepares and eternal prudence prepares for eternity. I think that's significant. Finally then, poverty and need. Poverty and need. These are the vagabonds and ruffians of the undisciplined life. And we have it here in verses 9 through 11. Part of this is parallel in Proverbs 24. So we can pick up here. 9 through 11 says, How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from sleep? And these uh, rhetorical questions are inviting a response. And uh, the response comes in a kind of a a sing-song kind of a way, and you might imagine children on a playground reciting this. Um, And the answer comes, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So how much longer? Oh, just five more minutes, just five more minutes, right? Just two more minutes. Oh, mom, please. Oh, dad, please. Okay. Uh, Just a little bit more, a little bit more. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. And word for word, this gets repeated in chapter 24. Take a look at that briefly. It doesn't have the, uh, the lead-off question, but this is how the chapter concludes with verses 33 and 34. And actually, this is how the, the portion, remember in chapter 25, we're beginning a new section of Proverbs. Remember that? In 25.1, these also are the Proverbs of Solomon. Uh, these were the ones that were compiled during, uh, during um, Hezekiah's time. So really, when we're looking at the end of chapter 24, we're looking at the end of the book of Proverbs as it stood when he wrote it in his lifetime. So when Solomon died and, and went to Abraham's bosom, when Solomon uh, finished his earthly days on earth, his compiled book of Proverbs ended with this song that we're studying today. It ended with a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. And I think that's kind of an interesting consideration too for the way that uh, obviously the Lord didn't allow for Proverbs to end there because he added to it in in later centuries. But uh, at least as it stood when Solomon finished his personal composition of it, that's where... uh, the Proverbs of Solomon were complete. All right, now, under this, remember, poverty is not evil in itself, but the manner in which it arrives is the real problem, all right? This is what makes uh, the, the manner in which it arrives so that as it arrives, it is a vagabond, okay? Other forms of poverty will not fulfill the vagabond role, like the poverty that is created because of your own personal laziness. Poverty is not evil in itself, but the manner in which it arrives is the real problem. If this is something that God has assigned to you as attesting to your faith, if this is something that has come about not as a consequence of your own laziness, then uh, you accept it as such and you thank the Father for His testing. And uh, you, you strive to be faithful during the entire time of this testing. 
and uh, you trust that he's going to bring you through to the other side and or not whatever else he chooses to do uh clearly the the principle in philippians 4 12 says that we need to learn the secret of of prosperity we need to learn the secret of adversity in both circumstances we learn these things we're familiar with this philippians 4 12 should be i think we looked at it last week philippians 4 12 it's not a sin to be poor So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed... Oh, wrong chapter. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. And, you know, getting along, well, how long do you got to get along? What kind of time frame are we talking about? You know, are we talking about a week, a month, a year, 10 years? What are we talking about? I also know how to live in prosperity. Well, how long does that last? <laughs> okay. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And that's really the parameters for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It has to do with how we are conducting our daily life. And are we losing focus? Are we still looking to the Lord? Are we allowing our poverty to distract us? Are we allowing our wealth to distract us? What's the the circumstance going to be? So poverty is not evil in itself. I hate it when the the, the prosperity gospel people just point to somebody's humble circumstances and say, well, what's wrong with you? And uh, if, you were, if you were more spiritual, then God would obviously be pouring the, pouring, uh, the blessings upon you kind of a thing. Well, and, and, and this, it's a flaw. I think it's a, it's a fallacy of definition. They're just equating uh, financial wealth with blessing. And, and uh, what, what, a, what a fallacy. All right. But the manner in which it arrives, if, if it is the consequence of being a slug, then uh, that's a different issue, okay? If, if you are financially destitute because you've been lazy this whole time, well then uh, don't go moping around like you're a modern day Job or whatever and, and encountering all this undeserved suffering and oh, woe is me and it's not fair and blah, blah, blah. And, well, I'm just going to have to endure. God will provide. Well, yeah, he'll provide, but he'll provide you the opportunity to work, and he told you to work. A man will not work, neither let him eat, kind of a thing. All right. The verb to be poor is the verb rush, R-U-W-S-H, or R-U-S-H. I like putting the W in there. That reminds me that it's a long U sound. It's rush and not rush. Okay. Also, there's the noun rash that speaks of poverty, and... Uh, Many of these cases, and in, I think there's really nothing really in-depth to be gained as far as understanding what the term means. It means what it means, and we're, we're fine with the translation. But I think some of the passages where it appears is useful because uh, it, it's able to, to jog our thinking and remind us of other doctrines and other uh, episodes throughout the Old Testament. And um, did we look at these last week? This is where we ran out of time. Don't think we did? We did. We saw them all. We did not see them all. All right. First Samuel eighteen twenty three. We won't take a whole lot of time. All right. First Samuel eighteen twenty three. We might have seen the first couple of these. Saul's servant spoke these words to David, and David said, "Is it trivial in your side to become the king's son-in-law?" since I am a poor man and lightly esteemed. You know, he came from very humble circumstances. Jesse was the the clan leader of Ephrathah. He was the Ephrathite. Jesse was the Ephrathite. But we're also told that Ephrathah was a pretty uh, small clan. It was too small to be counted among the clans of of Judah. He was not even enrolled among the the leading clans as far as the prince of Judah is concerned. And... uh, so as such, how would he be entitled to marry the king's daughter? Uh, you realize that there's only one king and there's only a finite number of daughters and those are some, those are some big commodities right there to, to be working with when you know that, that marriage is a, is a business arrangement in the ancient world. All right, 2 Samuel 12. This is Nathan coming to David and using the parable to uh, get David to convict himself. Words out of his own mouth. Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said, there were two men in one city. The one was rich and the other was rush. The other was poor. 
And the rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but Rush, the poor man, had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. Okay, and we, we're familiar with this. We taught this and, and uh, so forth. And I love this. When uh, the traveler comes and the poor man, or the rich man, was, uh, stole the, the, the poor man's ewe and prepared it for dinner. And then uh, David's anger burned and said, uh, this man deserves to die. <laughs> Isn't that great? The Lord does that to get us to hang ourselves, to convict ourselves. Uh, you're right, and you're the man. The man that's done this does deserve to die. And I'm talking about you, David. And uh, at that point, it's, uh, you know, close your mouth. What else can you say? Psalm 34.10. Psalm 34.10, I love this. This is uh, Psalm 34 is a psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech. Drove him away and departed. I've always remembered this. I've, I've kept this in the back of my memory in case uh, I'm ever called upon to escape something. I can just fake being a madman and maybe that'll work. Um, <laughs> anyway, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. This is another one of our uh, doctrine digestion passages. Just taste it. Give it a taste. You may not think you like it, but give it a taste. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him there is no want. Now here's the, the idea of lacking, of being in need. And uh, that's parallel with, with uh, uh, being poor. And in fact, it's the second term we're going to look at. We have poverty and we have need. And uh, these are the vagabonds and ruffians of Proverbs chapter 6. And so there's the want or the need in uh, verse 9 that uh, we'll get at under point 2. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. So here again is the parallel between want and need, poverty and need, lacking and um, and uh, being destitute. And so we see it here. They who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. So there's a principle for you. If, uh, if it appears to you in earthly terms that you are in want, well then stop and claim it by faith and give that back to the Lord and say, Lord, uh, by worldly standards, there are uh, unbelievers and carnal believers that would view this as being a lack. They would view this as being in want. Uh, but I'm claiming the promise that I don't lack, I don't want, that um, I fear you and I'm in your will and I'm in your plan, so uh, it, it's not a good thing, whatever it is that I think I might need, <laughs> whatever it is that I might want. The fact that I don't have it means it's not a good thing, because no good thing does he withhold from those who, who love him. And, uh, and there it is. All right, 82.3. part of the judgment upon the divine council. This is God taking his stand in his own congregation. The setting here is heaven. It's in the invisible spirit dimension, and these beings are spirit beings, not human. All right, we call them angels or, or the invisible realm of creation. And uh, God is not pleased with how they are uh, fulfilling their stewardship. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Vindicate the weak and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. And I think this context actually predates Adam. This is on the original uh, angelic stewardship, on the original uh, angelic earth and the different things there. They were influenced by, by uh, Chotham Tachanith from Ezekiel 28. And he himself had corrupted his wisdom by reason of his splendor. He himself, by his unrighteous trade, had, uh, had defiled his sanctuaries. And that attitude had spread to uh, the, uh, the judges of that angelic earth. Well, more on that, I think we taught it fairly comprehensively in the uh, Angelology series. Proverbs 10.4, back to Proverbs again, 10.4. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes 
rich. Okay? And we'll deal with this. This is coming up. Uh, this is the second section of Proverbs. Uh, after we get past family wisdom, our parental wisdom, we'll now get into the, the practical wisdom of daily life in chapter 10 and following. Uh, and as a general rule, hard work pays off. And as a general rule, uh, being negligent has consequences. And that's uh, not just how the world works, that's how God designed the world to work. That's on purpose, as uh, Adam was placed as a worker when originally created in his sinless innocence. Proverbs 13. Verse 7. You ever meet somebody like this? There is one who pretends to be rich but has nothing. Another pretends to be poor but has great wealth. All right, then verse 8, the ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but the poor hears no rebuke. Man, that's going to get very convicting when we get to that point. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth. What is it the people are banking on? What is it the people think is going to bail them out of all their trouble because it always has? And they've kind of developed this as a pattern. Hmm, Now look out. Uh, same chapter down to verse 23. Abundant food is in the uh, fallow ground of the poor, but it is swept away by, adjust, uh, by injustice. All right. I think that's the verse I was looking for. But there's the poor. Yeah, that's the term poor there. Poverty. Abundant food is in the fallow ground of the poor. Why did the, why did the ground go fallow? Why wasn't he busy working it? Why was he busy clearing the weeds and sowing and reaping and harvesting? You know, if you let the land grow fallow, well, that's your food. <laughs> All right. 14.20, Proverbs 14, verse 20. The poor is hated even by his neighbor, but those who love the rich are many. There's human viewpoint for you, but yet it's true, is it not? As far as how this world operates in general aspects. Um. <laughs> be aware of it proverbs seventeen five. he who mocks the poor taunts his maker and he who rejoices at calamity will not go unpunished and boy, that's why i think we better be humble in all of this that we uh don't just start judging people or blaming them like job's critics and saying well you're getting what you deserve kind of a thing you know uh you're yeah you're a vagrant because you're just a lazy bum kind of a thing well wait a minute that may be true, but we're still not going to mock him. We're going to still love him and give him the gospel. And maybe uh, someday he'll quit being a lazy bum. And, and uh, who knows how God can turn a life around. So that's 17.5. 18.23. Yeah, I'm going to leave 17 before I read a grandchildren verse there. 18.23. The poor man utters supplications but the rich man answers roughly. Some of these just kind of preach themselves. You don't need a whole lot of explanation, right? We may find, uh, somebody asked me, how long is the Proverbs series going to go? Well, based on the, the early chapters, you can gauge it, but I think it's going to start accelerating in chapter 10 because so many of those just kind of preach themselves and, and uh, don't leave a lot left for uh, debate. Proverbs 19.1, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. And so more vocabulary that we're learning from this lesson related to not only poverty, but also uh, the pervert and uh, the issues there. You know, if, if to get out of poverty, you've got to compromise your divine norms and standards, are you going to do it? You know, no, you're better off in poverty. Live in the Word of God, walking in the integrity of your heart, trusting in Him to provide. That's uh, 19.1. Also verse 7. All the brothers of a poor man hate him. How much more do his friends abandon him? He pursues them with words, but they are all gone. And okay, I get that. Uh, you, you lose a lot of friends when you're no longer in a position to help them or do anything for them or, or, or whatever, you know. Uh, but hey, if they're fair weather friends anyway, who wants them? Twenty-two, the same chapter. What is desirable in a man is his kindness, 
or chesed, loyalty. It is better to be a poor man than a liar. 22.2 The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. Well, that puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Verse 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Man, I'd like to get our politicians to figure that out. Okay, quit racking up the national debt. Chapter 28, verse 3. A poor man who oppresses the lowly is like a driving rain which leaves no food. Then uh, verse 6, verse 27. I should have been grabbing these race terms while I was at it. Oh, well, we'll let those go. Uh, Verse 6. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. Saw that a couple times already. Verse uh, 27. We also have verse 19 as far as the noun is concerned. Verse 19 says, He who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty, that's the noun, in plenty. You know, if, if you don't have a crop, well, who's to blame? <laughs> okay? You, uh, you didn't plow. You didn't, uh, you left the land fallow. Down to verse uh, 27 then. He who gives to the poor will never want, but he who shuts his eyes will have many curses. What is our attitude towards the poor, particularly in the body of Christ when he has provided resources uh, for the body? 29.13 The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. (laughs) Okay. So that's it for all of the Rush verbs. Uh, there's two more nouns we can spot in chapter 30 and chapter 31. Chapter 30 and verse 8 says, Keep uh, deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. I like this. I think this is a valid prayer and, and a mindset that it would be admirable. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. In other words, Father, I just I want to serve you and uh, I don't want to be in the either extreme that might cause me to get my eyes off of you, that kind of a thing. Finally, the noun poverty comes in in 31.7. Well, let's see. Larger context here is why kings should not be drunk on duty. Um, Don't ever try to issue a judicial ruling if you're under the influence of Uh, They will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. But it does say in verse 6, Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget all his poverty and remember his trouble no more. Now we've got to deal with that in a right context. Otherwise, (laughs) this can become a sanction for uh, different things. But there is, it's, it's in the Bible and there's a purpose for it. There is a purpose for it. All right. We have poverty and we have need. The term for need, hard to, machasor, machasor, M-A-C-H, then a, a short vowel, the shawa, machasor, C-O-W-R, M-A-C-H-E-C-O-W-R, number 4270, 13 uses, uh, mostly in Proverbs, in Psalms, and uh, mostly parallel to the term we just looked at. <laughs> All right? So we've seen a lot of them already. The uh, noun speaks of need, also can be rendered poverty, and that becomes a problem because now we've got two different terms that can both be rendered poverty, and uh, how do we handle them if they're both used at the same time? <laughs> do we just call it poverty and poverty? No, it's better that we find a distinction for them, uh, but they, uh, they do communicate uh, similar aspects. And so uh, you already spotted there the Psalm 34, 9 is a context we've already read. Proverbs 6, context we've already read. In fact, most of these um, are coming in parallel to the, to the um, Rush 
usages that we've seen in different places. The, uh, the noun comes from the verb chaser, C-H-A-C-E-R, chaser. And that verb has 23 uses, to lack, to be lacking. So it speaks of a lack, it speaks of a, of a deficiency, of something that, uh, that ought to be there that is not. That's a lack. And so they obviously they go hand in hand. If you have poverty, well then yeah, you're going to lack a lot of things by definition. Uh, if you are, don't have poverty, well then you're not going to lack uh, the things that you would if you were in poverty. So there's no question that p- p- the poor and the needy uh, are you know, parallel ways of looking at the same thing. Uh, they're spoken of here in parallel as vagabonds and ruffians or armed men. Beggars and takers, <laughs> okay? Yes, the difference. The beggar is just asking for it and bugging you about it. The the uh, the ruffian is just tired of asking and he goes in and takes it, <laughs> all right? And uh, he's, because he's armed and he's a thug and he uh, he takes what he wants. Let's see. I don't recall. I haven't seen Deuteronomy yet. Deuteronomy 15.8. So it would help if I turn to the right place. Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 8. You know, um, remarkable. <laughs> they get a Sabbath year and they get a jubilee. And uh, their attitude is to be shaped by the Word of God, not shaped by secular considerations. And um, if there is a poor man, verse 7... If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns, in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your poor brother. Remember, family is the one that's designed to have these financial ties, and it is a blessing to make such provision. But you shall freely open your hand to him, and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. All right, and here's the principle. Principle of generosity principle of sufficiency, uh, principle of identifying the lack, identifying the need. Beware, and here's the warning, that there is no base thought in your heart, (laughs) okay? This is what can happen when you stop letting Zoe life shape your Bios life. Beware that there is no base thought in your heart saying the seventh year, the year of remission is near. (laughs) You know, any other year, yeah, I'd, I'd help them out. I'd I'd loan them some money, or I'd give them some money, or whatever. But you know, we got this Sabbath year coming up, and 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 whatever I loan him, he can just wipe it off the books and, and be scot free, and then I lose. Missing the point. It's not about winning and losing, and it's not about that. We're not approaching this as bankers. We're not approaching this as a return on investment or a, a risk to our stockholders or anything of the sort. We are, we are shaping our bios life based on our zoe life. And generosity is generosity regardless of the, of the, the setting uh, in which it comes. Anyway, so you shall uh, beware that there's no base thought in your heart saying the seventh year of the year of remission is near and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother and you give him nothing. Then he may cry to the Lord against you and it will be a sin in you. That was your open door opportunity. You failed to go through it for all the wrong reasons. You shall generously give to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work, in all your undertakings. Okay? The poor will never cease to be in the land. Didn't Jesus quote that? Okay? The poor you will have with you always. All right. Anyway, I think by the time we're done with Proverbs, we're going to have a better perspective on uh, the, the, the panhandlers and vagrants and, and uh, the welfare safety nets and all the different things that, uh, that we're surrounded by. Anyway, so there's Deuteronomy 15. Uh, we've already looked at Psalm 34. We've already looked at Proverbs 6. I think, how many of these? We can probably save some time. 
11, 24, 14, 23, 21, 5. Most of these look parallel. Not 21, though. That's unique. So let's grab that one. 21, 5, and 17. Remember, the concept of lack, the concept of need, with divine viewpoint, if, if He hasn't given to you, then you don't need it. <laughs> and you don't lack. It's only human viewpoint that says, I need that. I lack that. So Proverbs 21.5, The plans of the diligent surely lead to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty, comes surely to lack. All right, same chapter, we're down to verse 17. He who loves pleasure will become a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not become rich. Is that the point? Are we, are we trying to get rich so that we can have all those pleasures in life? Wait a minute. That's what the world might tell you. All right, 22, 16, 24, 34, 28. 37. The verb is interesting. And did I make a link here? I did make a link there. There we go. And so we can do a, uh, a root search for this. Make it large enough to read. Or not. Okay. Hello, hello. I'll figure that out later. So we have want and we have need. Let's talk about vagabonds or whatever you want to call them. Why do we have so many names for these guys? Vagabonds. Literally, it's pedestrian. It's, it's, it's a participle from the verb halak, to go, to walk. These are people that walk around, <laughs> okay? And so they're literally pedestrians, vagabonds, pedestrians, drifters, rovers, wanderers, hobos, transients, vagrants, bums. Do you know clochards? Derelicts, gangrels, and tramps. If you can find more, let me know. I'll add them to the next slide. <laughs> All right. My favorite is tramps. My mother-in-law was a tramp. I, I married a... Um, well, then she became a Schneider when she got married. But yeah, her maiden name was, was Tramp. Okay. The German pronunciation is Tromp. That gives it a little bit more culture. But no, they were, they were tramps. This crowd, and we know who they are. They are everywhere, you, every red light in town. They are all over town. They are among the vibrant tapestry of multicultural expressions for those who wander from place to place without a fixed home. Okay? For those who wander from place to place without a fixed home. Now, some of this is a little tongue-in-cheek uh, because the, rich, the vibrant tapestry of multicultural expression is what we're told uh, is what makes us great. That uh, diversity will make us great. And by virtue of being diverse, we will be great. And uh, having, a, having a, a, a vibrant tapestry of multicultural experience is a, is a great thing. Because it is. And that's what the world will tell you again and again and again and again. That's the entire um, philosophy of the, of the multiculties. Okay? The cult of multiculturalism. Problem is, the Scripture says otherwise. <laughs> All right? The Scripture says otherwise. The Scripture says that there are some cultures that God will bless, and there are other cultures that God will not bless. And He actually blesses one and judges the other. And not every culture is equal and should be appreciated or respected or admired or um, tolerated. Some are so abhorrent that they must not be tolerated. They must be avoided. They must be crushed. They must be removed. We want no part of, of uh, those uh, abominable cultures. 
just a short definition of a vagrant, one who has no established residence and wanders idly from place to place without lawful or visible means of support. This also is not going to be popular in, uh, among the uh, powers that be of our generation. Okay? In fact, they actively are very hostile to it in their lawsuits, in their pursuits. They are actively working to try to end uh, vagrancy laws that are on local statutes, on local books, and so forth, because they view it as the criminalization of homelessness. And how dare you? How dare you criminalize the homeless? All right, just for being homeless. And that's, that's, that misses the point altogether. And they turn it into a well, where's your heart kind of a thing. And I thought you were a Christian and I thought you love and blah, 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 blah. Failing, of course, to identify what the scripture is warning us about. All right, so one who has no established residence and wanders idly from place to place without lawful or visible means of support. And this comes down to a basic principle of humanity, a basic principle of what we are in the image of God and how we are commanded to work and how we are expected to image God as we work and how in marriage God has provided us a helpmate to do the work, all right? And we have a helpmate and we have that we train up the next generation and we have so we have the laws of divine establishment in terms of our personal volition marriage family and nations and we have all the principles that the word of god gives us so that we we operate on a on a basis that pleases him we want to apply these principles to our personal volition we want to apply these principles to our marriages to our families and to of course our political life secular life in a body politic Part of this, of course, is a recognition of where do you live, okay? And why are terms like live and life and livelihood, why are they so connected? And even bios in terms of a life is, is, our, is, our, sec, is our secular life, our temporal life. Where do we live? How do you make a living? Why do we use that term? What do you do for a living? What does that mean? That means that to eat and survive and and exist as a physical body in the physical world, (laughs) right? You probably noticed that. Uh, This this mortal uh, flesh requires food, okay? And so the manner of living is how you make a living, the work you do, the income it produces, the, uh, the wealth that you produce and accumulate, all right, it's a reflection of the work that you've put in. Okay, we're talking about wealth, not money, wealth. And so you have produced and you have um, accumulated the, the residual of your production. Anyway, all of this is, uh, it's so basic and it's so fundamental and yet it's not taught. It is absolutely not taught. In fact, the God-haters will deny any of this. And they will use uh, greed and envy as their tools to somehow create these entitlements to, to other people's money as if somebody deserves a living wage. Who deserves a living wage? Who, and as far as what we deserve versus what the Father expects us to obey, what the Father expects us to produce, okay? The Father commands that we work. And the fruit of that work is to be our production, is to be our wealth, okay? Not what somebody else produces. Am I entitled to that, okay? Anyway, so much of this comes about. But some of it too is, well, not only what do you do for a living, but where do you live and why? All right? And we're not talking about, I mean, everybody has to live somewhere, right? Even if it's under a bridge somewhere, wherever it is, do you have a place that you frequent and why? Right? Now, we're not a theocratic nation, and so we don't have to live in a particular tribal allotment we have in, in our church age, of course, we have freedom, but still we have the overall parameters of God's sovereign control of human history 
because he, he has designed the appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. This is a part of, again, part of uh, individual personal volition, marriage, family, nationalism, the laws of divine establishment. So where I live in the will of God, according to his geographic will, is a significant obedience application. In any event, the, uh, the consequences of being so destitute that you don't even have a roof over your head, you don't have a place to call your own. This is, this is uh, the, the issues of homelessness. Um, we we want to have the, the, the Proverbs approach to it. We don't want to have the, uh, the, the satanic approach to it, to say the least. All right? So this is what we deal with with vagrants. Let's look at it biblically. Who was the first vagrant in the world? Cain, okay? And you knew that because you saw Genesis 4 on the screen. Genesis 4, verse 12, verse 14, verse 16. Because as soon as you saw Genesis 4, you immediately went, ah, Cain and Abel, right? Genesis 1 and 2 is creation. Genesis 3 is the fall. Genesis 4, Cain murders Abel. You think your way through the the scriptures on a chapter-by-chapter basis? Genesis 4. Now, the um, judgment, he comes to Cain. He's looking for confession. Cain won't confess to anything. Where is, your, where is Abel, your brother? I do not know him. I'm my brother's keeper. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And we, we understand from this passage and elsewhere that bloodshed defiles the land a land of violence, a land of bloodshed is defiling. It has a spiritual defilement to the actual territory, so much so that it reaches a point that the land vomits you out of its mouth. I believe the Native American tribes were vomited. I believe that they were cultures of such bloodshed and cultures of such demonism that, that the land, the Western Hemisphere, vomited the pre-Columbian civilizations of the Western Hemisphere in any event. That's a different sermon. Uh, The blood is crying out from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. The consequences of his murder. And the curse doesn't come from God. The curse comes from the ground. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And so here's the first use of this term, the vagrant and the wanderer. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. That's kind of a repeat of everything God just said. But then he goes on to say, and whoever finds me will kill me. And it's kind of interesting what is his real objection here? <laughs> is his real objection to be away from the presence of God? I think he's kind of happy with that. But the real objection here is that he has a vulnerability, that he could be victimized, that he himself would be hunted down. Anyway, it's interesting because he restates the sentence and then he adds to the sentence with what I think is the real thing he's, he's, he's troubled by, is the, re- the revenge factor. So the Lord said so uh, the Lord said to him whoever kills Cain vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold and the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him and we're not told what the sign is but whatever it was was visible it's a mark that was placed upon him so that he would be identifiable as off limits that uh, there would be no human retribution against him for the bloodshed All right remember this is before capital punishments given in chapter 9 um, it's a, I think it's a mark of grace on, uh, on God's part here to assign this to Cain. So Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Well, look at that. A vagrant found a place to not be a vagrant. Okay? A wanderer found a place to stop wandering. And he settled down. And if you allow a vagrant to come somewhere and he settles down, well, he may stay a while. And uh, issues there, okay? In the land of Nod. What's Nod mean? What's the land of Nod? 
And where did he find his wife anyway? He took her with him when he left. They were already married. I think Cain and Abel were married. Um, in any event, you won't believe the insanity that different people come up with on the land of Nod and the non-human wife that, uh, that Cain found there. All right. Judges 11.3. Here's another example of vagrants. What happens if you tolerate vagrants in your community? Jephthah. Jephthah was a vagrant. Do you know that? Jephthah, before he was a judge, he got promoted. <laughs> Jephthah the Gileadite was a valiant warrior, but he, he was the son of a harlot. Gilead was the father of Jephthah. And so Mrs. Gilead and the siblings of Mrs. Gilead take issue with uh, Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore him sons, and when his sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. So we have the land of Nob and the land of Tob. And, uh, and notice, worthless fellows gathered themselves about Jephthah, and they went out with him. Okay, These worthless fellows. We're going to be dealing with Belial's in uh, Proverbs 6. These worthless fellows gather themselves around him. So he fled. He's a wanderer. He's a vagrant in uh, the context here. And the problem is uh, they get afflicted and they need him. And so they beg him to come back and, uh, and be their judge. Psalm 109 and verse 10. I've got two minutes left to get these last verses out. But uh, you notice that, how vagrants uh, travel in packs, worthless fellows gathered around him. And uh, aspects there. If you promote vagrancy, you, you're going to end up with packs. Beware the dogs, and dogs travel in packs, right? Psalm 109. Now, this is not the prayer request for uh, President Obama in uh, verse 8. Let his days be few and let another take his office. All right. Different application. As David's praying this against his uh, traitor. But now notice, beyond that, not just throw him out of office, it gets worse. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children wander about and beg. You know, travel to a third world country sometime and see the orphans and and the beggars and, and that. Let them seek sustenance far from their ruined homes. Let the creditor seize all that he has and let strangers plunder the product of his labor. Notice, accumulated wealth is the product of his labor labor until you decide to uh, plunder widows' houses, devour widows' houses and start to victimize the poor and you start to pervert justice and all the things that are uh, just abhorrent to the justice of God. Let there be none to extend loving kindness to him nor any to be gracious to his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off in a following generation. Let their name be blotted out. And that's a ferocious and precatory prayer. All right? Thankfully, it has no church age application. <laughs> okay? Don't be praying that prayer. Lamentations 4 5. Lamentations 4 5. Ah, 4 15. Thank you. Depart, unclean, they cried of themselves. Depart, depart, do not touch. So they fled and wandered. Men among the nations said they shall not continue to dwell with us. Are we talking about lepers? Are we talking about vagrants? Are we talking about uh, other undesirables? You just want nothing to do with them. Get them out of here. We don't want that sort in our uh, in our community. Well, I'm out of time. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your grace. Father, uh, I thank you for your grace eternal plan. Um, 
I ask that we might have the proper perspective on finances, including wealth and including poverty, including abject poverty of, uh, of utter destitution and homelessness. And Father, um, I pray that we might have uh, your spirit of uh, generosity and graciousness while at the same time, Father, having your um, divine viewpoint perspective related to work and related to the mandate of work and the accumulated uh, wealth that is the product of work. And so, Father, show us what the balance is and show us what the right application is. And I do thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.